uh, chapter 9. Um, and, and what we have to remember, and we're going to read this in a minute, so if you have a Bible with you, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Um, what you have to remember is that this is a prophecy about a king that's coming to his people, and uh, royal titles were, uh, and what, what we need to bear in mind is royal titles were given to uh, tell us what the king would be like. What kind of king is he going to be? How is he going to rule? How is he going to reign over his people? And so these four names are given to us, um, and that's where we're going to start. We're going to read Isaiah chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 1, and uh, just, just to say, uh, you know, we do believe that the Bible is, is, it's not just some ancient book, it's actually God's Word, it's, it's how God primarily speaks to us, so because of that, we want to be thankful when we read it, uh, and so after I finish this reading, I'll say, uh, this is the Word of the Lord, and you all say, thanks be to God, just our way of marking what it is and remembering that and being thankful for it. So let's read uh, Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. And they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, on our last Sunday, uh, approaching Christmas, obviously you start thinking about family. And last week I was sharing how uh, my dad died when I was quite young. And, and so every Christmas I kind of miss him. But when he was a kid, one of my lasting memories of him was that he was always talking about peace a lot. Now, I grew up at the tail end of the Troubles, so uh, maybe you're thinking, oh, he's talking about peace in Northern Ireland, but I have to say, his desires for peace were a wee bit more localized than that. When he talked about peace, which was basically every day, he just wanted some peace and quiet, like, he just wanted peace and quiet. Now, what you have to understand is that I grew up, I have four sisters, and uh, so that's like four girl versions of me, and I'm the quiet one in the family, so I can't understand, and now that I have two kids, which is... 40% of the amount of kids that he had, I totally understand where he's coming from. Um, but I wonder what you think of when you think of peace. Because it probably, I'm guessing, probably has something to do with the absence of conflict, doesn't it? Uh, in, in some form or other. That's usually the first thing that comes to our minds. Even if you think of, of society in these three levels. So if we start with the world, right? World peace. If we think about the world, peace is the absence of war. So we have peace treaties. A nation is said to be at peace if it's not in the middle of a war. And in our relationships, nor it down a wee bit, the people around us, people we know, we tend to think of peace 
Uh, we want peace. We desire peace, and rightly so, so when we're not fighting with someone, when we're, there's no conflict between us or animosity. We want harmony in our marriages. We want to get along with our friends. And then bring it even closer to home, within ourselves. We want to be at peace within ourselves. We don't want to be conflicted about our decisions. We don't want to have anxiety. Um, you know when people say, oh, I just have a real peace about that. You know, we, want, we all desire that. And I'm not saying those are bad things at all. But in the Old Testament, the word used for peace is this word shalom. Maybe you've heard it. Uh, the Jewish community used that as a blessing. It's a Hebrew word that means peace, but, but it's a far richer and fuller concept than our English word peace. At its most basic, shalom means completeness or wholeness. When things are, are in unity, when things are restored to, to oneness. Um, so in the Old Testament, we can see that it's, it's used to refer to an uncut stone, like a stone that hasn't been cut or broken. Uh, in Deuteronomy 27, 6, there, uh, God has given the people some instructions for, for making sacrifices. Uh, and he says this, you shall build an altar to the Lord uh, your God of uncut stones, of shalom stones. And you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And you shall sacrifice shalom offerings and shall eat there. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. So when God had brought his people into the, into the land of promise, he tells them to build an altar to worship him. And they are to build the altar from uncut stones, from whole stones, from shalom stones. And on this altar, they were to make their shalom offerings. They, they were to make peace with God on an altar of peace. I find stuff like that quite interesting and nerdy. But it's, it's where the word comes from. But it can also, uh, shalom can also uh, carry this idea of something uh, that is complex but that has no missing pieces. Uh, so Finley, who, Finley, our boy, he's six and just mad into Lego, 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 everything's Lego. Um, but what he does is he'll get a Lego set um, and he'll build it, but that's not good enough for him. Then he tears it apart and he'll uh, try to make his own creations, which I love. But then if he goes back and tries to do the original thing, there's always like a couple of pieces meet, missing. This is the idea that his, that Lego set is no longer in Shalom. There are some missing pieces. We see this idea in the book of Job. Uh, I, I can't remember where it is, uh, Job 5, I think. You shall know that your tent is at peace, and you shall inspect your fold and miss nothing. So Job's tents were in Shalom, his camp is in Shalom, when he counts all his sheep and none are missing. The idea is that life is complex, it's, it's um, full of all kinds of relationships and situations, and when something is missing, or something is broken, or going wrong, then you don't have Shalom. So say you're having a fight with someone, or if you wrong somebody in some way, then shalom when that relationship is missing. And so to get that shalom back again, to restore that peace, you have to repair what was broken. So to bring shalom means to complete or restore. So I, I'm from Balamina originally, and I used to work on a farm, so let me use this example uh, to make sense to me. Imagine one of my cows... I don't have any cows, but imagine I did. And one of them breaks out uh, of my field and goes into my neighbor's field and, and destroys all their crops. Well, what should I do? Well, luckily, the Bible gives me an uh, tells me exactly what to do. In Ex Exodus 22, this example is given to the people. It says this, Exodus 22, verse 5. If a man causes a field or a vineyard to be grazed over or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution 
from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. So he restores Shalom in that relationship by, by taking the best of what he has from his crops, from his vineyard, and he pays that guy uh, what, has, what, his, what he has broken through his cow getting loose. And when rival kingdoms make Shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean that they stop fighting. It's not enough. Peace is not just a, a, a stopping of hostilities. It means that they start working together for each other's benefit. Do you see? And this is what the Old Testament people of God were supposed to do with other nations. In fact, it's what we as the New Testament people of God, the church, are supposed to do with the people around us as well. This was part of the, of the Old Testament people of God. It was part of their mission. It was part of how they were a light to the nations. They, 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 by, by making shalom with, with those around them, they showed the world what God is like. And the kings of Israel were to lead the people in this. They were to be the king uh, shalom makers. They were to be princes of peace. To cultivate shalom uh, in Israel and with the other nations. But what we see throughout the Old Testament is that time and time and time and time and time and time again, they failed. They, their shalom was missing. There was no peace. Why was that? Well, because they had rejected God. They had no shalom with God. The shalom with God was broken. And so they couldn't form shalom with other people. And things got so bad that eventually the prophet Isaiah, that we've been reading this morning, says that God is going to send judgment on them. He said, this is the result of what happens when shalom is missing, when you reject my ways. Things don't work out well for you. The darkness that the people walked in that we read in Isaiah, verse 2, it wasn't just that they were facing exile and oppression. The darkness was a result of them rejecting God and walking away from his ways. And so this empire, the Assyrians, who just actually boasted and took pride in slavery, they were coming. They were coming to ransack the place and take all the people off into exile and make them slaves. And so they're going to lose the land of promise. Their shalom has been removed. They've lost Shalom. See, none of the kings of Israel could, could lead the people into Shalom. Even King David. David was like the best king that, that Israel ever had. The Bible says that, that he had the same heart as God, you know? He's like, I, I, he sees the world. He feels the same things as God feels. Even he couldn't lead them into peace. Not even in, with themselves, never mind with the neighboring nations around them. But then here in Isaiah 9, God steps in and God says, I have a plan. God has always had a plan. Shalom is going to come. Look at, look at Isaiah 9 verse 1 again. He says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan and the Galilee of the nations. How many of you are familiar with their ancient Israel geography and history? Not that many, I'm not. Uh, so that's a lot of confusing stuff that's just happening there. So firstly, he says, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Uh, often uh, the, the nation of Israel is referred to as, as female, as, as, a, as a woman, and, and even the church is, is described as the bride of Christ. And, and all the way through the Bible, uh, it's, it's like uh, God's people are, are, are like a bride. And so that's what he's saying. Uh, for her, for God's people, the, the, the anguish isn't going to last forever. The gloom isn't forever. 
That's why in Advent, we, we know, I said, things aren't the way that they're always going to be, but we know things will get better. Things are going to change because God has said it. God sees the people in the middle of their rebellion, in the middle of their sin. I mean, there was even stuff happening. There was even child sacrifice happening in the kingdom at that time. Crazy, horrible stuff. The, the, the rich were just trying to get richer, and they were forgetting about the poor. Mass poverty, child sacrifice, just complete societal breakdown, a lack of leadership. Death and destruction and exile are coming. And in the middle of this, God speaks, and he promises redemption. He promises shalom. And, and this is an amazing word for us this morning, because in the middle of our darkness, in the middle of our sin, God doesn't just leave us to it. He pursues us in love. God chases us. God, God pursues us with a way of making things right. Um, if you've ever read the, the very start of the Bible in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, uh, very quickly things go wrong for humanity uh, and they, they reject God's ways. And even in the middle of that, as soon as they do that, God steps in with a promise of salvation. He said, listen, one day a child is going to come and defeat this evil. And this is good news for us this morning. Because even though we turn our back on God, he will never turn his back on us. It's amazing news. Even in the, even in the middle of our sin, in the middle of us rejecting God, we reject God all the time, every day. In the middle of that, he never rejects us. And this is what the message of Christmas is, it really is, isn't it? This is what Advent is all about. Do you ever watch like Christmas movies? There's always a, this is what Christmas is all about moment, isn't there? And it's usually like, you know, right at the end of Home Alone, like that family's home and they all forgive everyone. Like, forgiving Kevin, like, what have you done to Buzz's room, Kevin? And then he's like giving them presents and it's all good. That's what Christmas is about. But it's not. Christmas is about this. It's about God pursuing us in our sin and on the depths of our rejection of him. God pursues us in his great love. We, we looked at this before, like God the Son, who actually, the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God takes on flesh and dwells among us. He lives a life of fully God and, and fully human. He, he knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be tired. Probably got a cold. I don't know if they had colds back then. Probably the equivalent. He knows what it's like to sprain your ankle, have a headache. Be angry. And he lives a life full of rejection and, sh and shame and ultimately he gets put to death. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us. That's why he stooped so low. That's why God himself stooped so low to follow us into our darkness. Uh, like the song, say, the, the song says, what love my God would bring you down to earth. What king would take a low and lonely birth. Yet to this dark and broken place you came to sleep beneath the stars that you had made. God follows us into the darkness, into our darkness. Romans 5 says that this is how God shows his love for us, that, that while we were still sinners, while we were still rejecting God, that Christ died for us. The core of the good news of Jesus is that while we were enemies with God, God makes peace with us at great cost to himself. And maybe you think sometimes that you're beyond God's forgiveness. Maybe there's something in your life that you're like, well, God, yeah, he can forgive, but he couldn't forgive that. Maybe you feel unlovable. 
or unloved. How could God ever love me? Well, that's not the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is that God loves you so much that he took on flesh to live as one of us so that he could die as one of us so he could forgive the sins of all of us. That's Christmas. The message of Christmas is that God loves you so much that he took on flesh so that he could live as one of us so that he could die as one of us to forgive the sins of all of us. That's Christmas. Verse 2 of this prophecy in Isaiah 9, uh, it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That's us, the people who've walked in darkness. Uh, Listen to what uh, John chapter 3, this is Jesus speaking, and this is what he says about light coming in the darkness. He says, the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. And what he's saying is that we love darkness, actually. We do. We love darkness rather than light because in the darkness, no one gets to see the parts of ourselves that we don't want them to see. In darkness, those thoughts that I have, no one gets to see that. My friends don't get to see that. My spouse doesn't get to see that. My family don't get to see those things. In darkness, we can hide. We don't, we don't want to present our true selves, do we? If you all knew the thoughts I have, I wouldn't be standing here. But the light exposes that, doesn't it? The light of Christ exposes our sin. So we try to hide. When Adam and Eve did, uh, did disobey God, the first thing they did was try and hide. Like, how are you going to hide from God? They hide in the bushes? What are they, like five? Come on. They hide in the bushes. And, and we've been hiding ever since, trying to hide ourselves from each other and hide ourselves from God. And so that was the beginning of walking in darkness. Walking, stepping out of the light. And just like these Israelites of old, we walk in darkness because of our rejection of God. And our rebellion against God has led us into a land of deep darkness. You see, sometimes we think that we were in the dark looking for God. You know what I mean? Like we're stumbling about in the dark looking for God. But somehow it wasn't our fault that we were in the dark. Um, I sometimes listen to this podcast called Ear Hustle. And it's, uh, it's made, by the, made by the inmates of San Quentin Prison in California. And um, it's really, really interesting. Um, and in this one episode, they were talking about uh, the old days of the prison and how it started. And they, they used to have an actual dungeon. It's still there, but they don't use it anymore. Well, at least they, I don't think they do. But uh, especially if you were black, um, you could be just unfairly accused of something and just chained up in the dungeon. Um, and, and that's somehow, sometimes how we think of our sin, isn't it? We think that we're in this land of darkness unfairly, you know. That we, that we're walking around the darkness trying to find a way out. But that's not true. We're in the darkness because we rejected God. We're in the darkness willing, willingly. And it's into that darkness, that rebellion, that, that God has shined his light. That's why it's so amazing. This, this grace that he has shined his light on us and exposed our need of him. He shined on us because we rejected him. We broke shalom with God. And God said, you know what? I love you. And I'm going to restore that shalom. Even though you reject me and rebel against me, I love you and I'm going to make peace with you. And this passage in Isaiah 9 shows us three things 
about what it will be like, what it's like when God restores shalom with his people. God, what are you up to here? Well, let's, let's have a look at this and see. The first sign of this is uh, in, in, in verse, verse 3. And the first thing we see is that the Prince of Peace multiplies his people. He increases their number and he increases their joy. Listen to verse 3. He says, you, and that's speaking of God, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest and they are glad when they divide the spoil. This idea of, of nation being expanded is a really big theme in Isaiah. The nation of Israel, were to, to, they were meant to be a light to the nation so that other people would come to salvation and believe in God. Uh, salvation would come for all nations through Jesus, and Jesus himself comes through this, this, this nation of Israel. And what this means for us is that there's no one nation that can claim Christianity as their own. There's no one race that has a, a claim on Christianity. There's no one political persuasion that has a claim on Christianity. The kingdom of God is made of all nations. This is what God means here when he says that he will multiply the nation. That the God is multi increase in number and they will be made up of all people from every nation on earth. This is what uh, Revelation 7 verse 9 says. This is looking forward to the future. This is, how we, this is what we see God's people finally and fully complete. And he says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Christianity is not a Western thing. It's not a unionist thing. It's not a nationalist thing. It's not about green or orange. It's not about red, white, and blue. It's not about the United Kingdom or United Ireland. The kingdom of God is made up of people from every nation. Every tribe, every language. That's the whole point of shalom. This is what real world peace looks like. All people in all our diversity, just the way God created them. In unity, worshiping the lamb who was slain. And, and we might think, well, it seems like we're a bit far off from that, doesn't it? And it does. But it is happening. 2.3 billion Christians in the world and the majority of them are not in Europe, are not in America. The majority of them are in Africa and Asia and South America. The church is in decline here, yes, but it, it's, it's growing in power in those places. Sometimes it's easy, especially, you know, if you grow up in a certain tradition, you think that heaven's just going to be full of, of, of white middle-class unionists. Well, you better think again, because that's not the, what it's going to look like at all. Jesus came to save all people. And Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Prince of Peace is multiplying his nation of peace. That's what we have to look forward to. And so he's multiplying his nation. But, but the second thing we see of his peace is that the Prince of Peace breaks the power of oppression. Look at verse 4 again. It says, for the yoke of his burden... And the staff for his, his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. When it says the day of Midian, he's referring to a time in Israel's history when uh, they were being oppressed by this people group called the Midianites. Uh, and uh, God raised up this guy called Gideon. He was uh, what's called a judge, but not like a judge that we have back now. But, um, and he, with 300 men, defeated this entire army. Have you ever seen the movie 300? 
Probably like that, except everyone was a bit less buff. That's how I would imagine it. Um, 300 men with God's power defeat the oppressors of, of, of Israel. And, and this is what God has promised to do through his Messiah. Oppression is going to end. The Prince of Peace is going to end oppression. All oppression. And he does this by breaking the chains of the ultimate oppression, of sin. You see, every type of oppression that we uh, see in the world and, and inflict in the world and receive in the world, every type of oppression is, is because our shalom with God is broken, because our peace with God is removed, because of sin. And when Jesus died and rose again and then ascended to heaven, he broke the power of sin. And so right here, right now, in, in this life, yes, we might, we, we might still face persecution and oppression. We might even perpetrate those things in our own lives to other people in subtle ways. Hopefully none of you are involved in slavery, but, but, the power, but the oppression of sin is done. The power of sin is broken. And maybe you feel that oppression of sin today. Maybe even this week, You've been struggling with that same issue over and over and over again. I just can't seem to get over this. I know I have. I know I do. Well, here's the good news. If you are trusting in Jesus, the power of sin in your life has been broken. You are free from that. You know what the amazing thing is? If you're a Christian, you don't have to sin. The dungeon doors have been blown wide open. And you never have to return to that prison cell ever again. See, what Jesus does for us when we trust in him is he, he frees us from the, from the power of sin. And one day, he's going to free us from the presence of sin as well. Jesus says, you don't have to keep on doing that. There's a better way to live. I've broken the power of sin in your life. And one day soon, Jesus is going to come again. And all the evil and oppression will be done, with, done away with forever. Like last week we sang, O Holy Night. And in that, he says, chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. You see what that does? That puts us in the, the same place as the slave. That makes us identify with them. Christ is coming to break all the chains. It says, and in his name, all oppression shall, shall cease. And this is what we look forward to and anticipate in Advent. The coming of our king, and with him the coming of his eternal reign of peace. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we need? And this is why, as Christians, if we want to see world peace, yes, of course we should be working for peace and working for justice, and at the very least striving for shalom and peace with our neighbors. But if we want to see world peace, then we should be praying that Jesus comes quickly. Come, Lord Jesus. Bring your salam. It's the only way that oppression is ever going to fully cease. He's coming, and in his name, all oppression shall cease. So God multiplies in his people. Uh, he breaks the chains of oppression. And thirdly then, the third thing we see is in verse 5. Listen to this. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. What's happening here? The Prince of Peace is turning destruction into construction. Let me explain. This is a vision of the future. Uh, and the prophet sees a, a, a time that's coming when, when war has ended. There's never been a time like this. Uh, I read um, that only 8% of the time since recorded history began, 
um, has the world been entirely at peace? So in 3,100 years of history, only 286 of them have been without a war. And in that time, over 8,000 peace treaties have been broken. So human beings are not very good at peace. Human beings constantly break shalom. But look what God is doing. Warriors' boots and bloody garments are, are going to be burned. They're going to be turned into fuel. You see, more than just putting an end to the destruction of war, the Prince of Peace is going to turn that into something constructive. Warriors' boots and cloaks are being used as fuel for the fire. And fires are used to cook food to feed hungry people. Fires are used to make bricks to build shelter. Fires are used to to drive industry, to create heat and light. In the kingdom of God, our destruction is turned into his construction. We see the same Isaiah earlier, or idea earlier in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 2, when, when God judges uh, the world, then, then people are, it says people will stop learning the ways of war. And in those days, that they will turn their swords into plows and their spears into gardening tools. That's what happens when the Prince of Peace comes. The destruction is turned into construction. Isn't that what we need? Isn't that what the world needs? You see, the peace of God is not just the absence of conflict. It's also the presence of something better in its place. And this is the plan that God has for the world. This is how God intended creation to be. This is the kingdom of God. This is what the world will look like when shalom is restored. No more war. No more uh, conflict with our friends or with our neighbors or, or other relationships. And no more conflict within How many of us would just love to have peace within? Not be at conflict with ourselves anymore. We all crave peace because we were made for peace. If we all crave peace because uh, we we were made for peace, but but we've walked away from that peace. And and this is the reality that we as Christians, as the church, as the people of God, are called to live in right now. Just as the Israelites were meant to make shalom with the nations around them. We, the church, are to make shalom and preserve shalom with each other and with those outside of the church as well and with those around us. We are called to be peacemakers. This means that if you have wronged someone, you need to go and seek forgiveness and and, and do what you can to make that right. This means that if somebody has wronged you, you be the first one to take that step and forgive them and restore that relationship. Listen, we love our enemies because the gospel message is that God loves his. We love our enemies because the gospel message is that God loves his. So how is God doing this? How is, how is God going to bring about this shalom when, when, um, when his nation will multiply, when uh, his, uh, the oppression will be broken? And when destruction is turned into construction, how is he bringing this about? Well, this is the whole point of our Advent series. This is why we've given it this title. It's the whole point of the Christmas season. Verse 6, for to us a child is born and to us a son is given. God is establishing his reign of peace through a child, through a person. A child that's going to come from the line of David, it says in verse 7. 
That means it's just a line of kings. From the lineage of kings, he's going to be a king. and He's going to be a king of peace. You see, uh, the hope of the Bible isn't based on a set of values or a political idea or anything like that. It's a person. Our hope is a person. That's why we celebrate Christmas. When, when Isaiah looks forward in the events, so it, 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 when Isaiah looks forward in this um, prophecy, he's looking forward to the events that we see coming true in Luke chapter 2. Um, if you're coming to the Carl, if you're going to log on for the Carl service tonight, you're going to hear me talking about this again, but allow me to go into it now a wee bit as well. Um, when Jesus is born, the night Jesus is born, uh, an angel uh, comes to these shepherds here who are looking after their sheep uh, in the hills just outside of Bethlehem. And this is what the angel says to them uh, in Luke chapter 2. For, for unto you is born this day in the city of David. Okay, there it is again, David. And who is he? He's a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was an, there with the angel was a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Among those with whom he is pleased. Look what has happened. 700 years before Jesus is born, Isaiah, this prophet, says that a child will be born to you. And here the angel says that this Savior has been born to you. To you. Jesus is given to us. He is given to us. A son is given to us. Like, what, I mean, what a gift. I mean, like, I, I don't know what kind of presents you're getting people this year, but you're not competing with that. Jesus is given to us. The Prince of Peace is given to us. In Christmas, God gives himself to us. He came for you. Everything Jesus did was to restore our shalom with God. But notice what the angel says. Still on the screen? Yeah. Notice what the angel says. He says, peace among those with whom he is pleased. What does this mean? It means that it's totally possible to be given a gift. I mean, any of you could give me a gift, and it's totally possible for me to reject it. I won't, by the way, if you want to give me a present, I won't reject it. But, I mean, it's totally possible to get a gift and go, no, I'm done. I don't want that. And to give it back to the person or just reject it. And, and so it's totally possible to, even though this gift has been given, for us to reject it. And so our peace with God is for those who receive the gift, who receive the gift of God's favor, who receive the gift of Jesus. Who, the peace of God is for those who trust in Jesus. And without that, we don't have peace. Not in any meaningful sense or lasting sense anyway. Without trusting in Jesus, we have striving and restlessness and conflict with ourselves, and broken relationships, and broken relationship with God. But when we have Jesus, when we receive him, we have peace, we have shalom. People try to, not try, people do, people, people try to reduce Jesus to just being like a good man of history, like an interesting character, like uh, even in some religions he's a prophet, um, he's a man of peace. But he is all these things, yes, but he's so much more. See, Jesus is God himself come to us, and he had a singular purpose in coming. 
It's a sea of sinners. It's a sea of us, from ourselves, from the darkness. Mark 10, verse 45, this is what Jesus says of himself. He says, for the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, he said, came not to, not to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. From the beginning, God had a plan to bring shalom, to restore life to the way it was always meant to be. And that plan was centered around the coming of himself. And he is bringing world peace. He is creating a world without war, without fighting, without animosity. A world where human beings will have peace with each other. But most of all, he came to restore our relationship, our shalom with God. Because if we don't start there, there is no lasting peace. The only way we can have peace is if we have peace with God. And that's what Jesus came to bring. Because it's through, uh, our, uh, it's through restoring our peace with God that, that, that we restore our peace with other people too. Peace with God is the key to peace on earth. This is the message of Advent. This is the purpose of Christmas. And maybe the whole way through you've been thinking, or maybe not, but maybe when you read it now, why is he called Prince of Peace? If he's a king, why is he coming? Because we think of princes as, uh, you know, like a king in training, you know, or like a princess as a, a queen in training, that they're not quite there yet. They don't have the authority. But how can he be called the Prince of Peace if he's also the King of Kings? Well, this, this word that's used in Hebrew, it's diff- it doesn't actually mean prince in the way we think of it. It's, it's actually the same word that's used in verse 7 for, for government. It's someone who rules. It's like a ruling system. And this is Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. Because verse 7 tells us that of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Who else could bring shalom with God except the ruler of shalom? Except the one who brings a government of shalom. The one who could bring peace to the world is peace himself. And I'm nearly done. And so, 7,700 years before Jesus was, was born, is this promise of a child who would be born, God himself, a human baby, and would rule with divine wisdom and be our unending father, and his rule would bring about peace. But we don't worship the baby Jesus, do we? I mean, we do, but he didn't stay that way. And this is what I said last week, that the manger is just a signpost in history. It's just a a signpost pointing to the cross. The sign that the the angel tells the shepherd is this baby, the sign that peace has come, the sign that shalom has come. You see, the idea of shalom that we've seen this morning is that uh, it involves recompense and restoration, that a price has to be paid. Um, Remember the example of the cow? (laughs) For there to be shalom, restitution has to be made. If I hit another car with my car, then uh, either I pay that price through my insurance or the person who, uh, a car I've wrecked, they say, don't worry about it, I'll pay for that. But a price has to be paid. A wrong has been done. We've sinned against God and a price has to be paid. And this is what Jesus came to do. Last week, we mentioned Mary again, the mother of Jesus. She's been visited by the archangel Gabriel and he quotes this prophecy from Isaiah to her 
And he tells her that this baby would be the one who brings shalom. And we remember how she knelt. I mean, we imagine how she would kneel beside that manger where her baby was lying. And you know what you do with parents? You just, you just look at this tiny baby and you're just staring at him. She's just looking at her baby that she loves, that she's given birth to. She's full of emotion. Maybe she remembers the promise that's given to her by the angel, or maybe she remembers this promise in Isaiah. So much promise in that child, so much hope in that wee baby. And then we fast forward 33 years, and, and, and this, this woman who knelt at the manger kneels at the cross. She's just a mummy at this point, not, not just... Uh, not just in, in joy of, of this newborn baby, but here she's a mummy who's grieving her son being tortured. I mean, we can't even imagine that, just watching as he slowly dies. And the reason I bring this up is not to, not to bum us out at Christmas, but because I, I want us to realize that, that that picture, that's what shalom costs. This is the price of peace with God. Restitution has to be made. And Jesus paid that price. He paid it gladly. Listen to the words of Colossians 1, 19 and 20. I think there's, this is one of the key Advent and Christmas. This is one of the key Christmas texts in the whole Bible. It says this, For in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It was through the blood of his cross that he made peace for you. It was through his sacrifice that you can be reconciled to him. Like, I mean, we've all had to put our Christmas plans on hold a wee bit this year. We're not going to have parties. We're, 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 we're not going to have the, the same family get-togethers and all that kind of stuff that we love. And those things are all good. But they're worthless if we don't grasp this one thing. Christmas is about the gospel of Jesus. And I, I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time. Um, and, and this message is just a, a blessing and a reminder to you. Or maybe you're a Christian that, that has lost their way, that you're just feeling stale, or you're like, I just can't get this to impact my heart. Or, or maybe you don't know Jesus yet. But either way, I don't want you to leave this building and uh, without letting the truth of, of what I'm about to say sink deep into your heart. The Prince of Shalom, the God of peace, cares about you. Prince of Shalom, the God of peace, cares about you. And he proved that because he gave his life up for you. So let's not leave this building changed today. Let's not go into Christmas uh, just feeling you know, grumpy or unsatisfied that things aren't the way they're meant to be. Trust in Jesus, believe that in Jesus, that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That the reason he did that was so that he could make peace for us with God. God the Son took on flesh and that changes everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, we want to thank you for the gift that is you just giving yourself to us to make peace. Lord, we long for a day when we can have shalom with the people around us, with the world, and with you, Lord. 
Uh, help us to trust you. Help us to um, and believe that you've come to make peace. Lord, Father, we, we just ask that you would um, not let us just, uh, you know, uh, forget this message, that you would really create in us a hunger and a desire for true peace, for lasting shalom. Help us to work for peace in, in our uh, relationships, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in the world. But help us most of all, Lord, to strive for peace with you, to, to allow you to reign in our hearts. Lord, may we then, when we've received your peace, may we bring that to others. Um, Jesus, we need you. Uh, we need your help. We're so thankful that you came. Lord, you know, you know our weaknesses. You know our frailty because you've been there. You've been one of us. You are one of us. Help us to receive your peace this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.